Mark Twain was speaking in Utah once, and he got into an argument with a man about polygamy. And the man said to him, can you show me one passage in God's word that says a man can't have more than one wife? And Mark Twain <laughs> quickly responded, yes, no man can serve two masters. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> and all the brothers in the house said, amen, amen. amen. So, <laughs> yes, you're free to use that again, guys. Yeah, I'm glad that plane landed. So, funny for sure, however, it's been said that there's always a hint of truth in every joke, right? In Christian marriage, the role of the wife is not that of a master. In chapter 2 of 1 Peter, we saw that being under authority to the civil government and to those who are over us in the workplace, it pleases God. It is God's will that we keep ourselves in such a place. In chapter 3, the focus of being under authority continues, except the focus beginning in chapter 3, beginning in the first verse, it shifts to now the home. It's very important. Now, before we delve into that, we need to remember the historical context. We have to keep that in view. Believers at this time were absolutely suffering persecution in the Roman Empire. And the reason that I want to mention that as we begin to look at this, again, the, 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 the persecution, the suffering, it was through the roof. But the reason that I mention that is because, and we've said this before, but it's worth repeating, trials do not excuse us from being under authority. That's important, especially as we begin to unpack this this morning. Maybe you're in a, in a marriage situation that is not ideal, it's not favorable. You must remember, this does not give you license, this does not excuse you from being under authority. We have to remember that. So, beginning in verse 1, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Now, this word likewise makes it clear that he is still maintaining or keeping the same context that we've been in for all these weeks now of being under authority. This is very, very critical. So just as servants were to be in subjection to their masters, wives were and are to be in subjection to their own husbands. And this is what the Bible consistently teaches. Now, this is important for all of us to embrace, all of us, myself included, Men, women, this is critical for all of us. Subjection or rebellion are deliberate decisions. When we're talking about being under authority, which is God's will, subjection or rebellion are deliberate. They both are. Let's break this word subjection down. The prefix, it means, the sub-prefix means underneath. The root of the word jacked means to throw. The 
suffix, shan, act, it means to act. So subjection is the act of throwing ourselves under authority. It's deliberate. It's intentional. It's a decision that we all have to make, one that we get to make. Ladies, you are either throwing yourself, if you're married this morning, ladies, you are either throwing yourself under the authority of your husband as God's word commands you to, or you are directly rebelling against it. There is no in-between. You're either doing one of those. To be clear, it's a choice that you get to make every day, one that you should make to the glory of God. Now, Peter referred to wives being in subjection to husbands who obeyed not the word. That phrase, obey not, it means to disbelieve. So, in that disbelief, historically, it was willful and perverse. So, we have in view some women who were married to some pretty rough dudes. Some hard unsaved men. You can only imagine what that scene in the home was like for the Christian wives. So in 1 Peter, in verse 1 here, chapter 3, he is giving them counsel uh, to deal with this situation that if this is your situation, I want you to know my heart goes out to you. If you're a born-again, blood-washed woman of God who is married to a man who is unsaved, my heart breaks. That is grievous. That's awful. <laughs> my heart breaks. That is tough. That can take the air out of you. But experience has also shown me that there are saved women in the church who unfortunately are married to saved men, but they're not living like saved men. That, too, will take the air out of you. But under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, here's the counsel that he gave, beginning in verse 1, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. That word conversation it just simply means behavior, which is very critical to our discussion. So his counsel initially focused on, this is very critical, how a wife wins her unbelieving husband. That is the counsel. How a wife wins her unbelieving husband. I can assure you, ladies, as a man, from the perspective of a man, the counsel that Peter gave is winning counsel. It is winning counsel. His, his counsel was essentially this. The ways of a wife will have a greater impact spiritually on her unbelieving husband than her words. Her ways will have a greater impact spiritually on her unbelieving husband than her words. Very critical. They also may, without the word, be won by the conversation or behavior of the wives. 
Ladies, if you are married to an unbeliever or a saved man who's not living like one, you've got to understand this. You might be right that he's not listening to you. But be not mistaken, he is absolutely watching you. He might not be listening to the word that you're trying to speak to him or the truth you're trying to convey to him, but he is absolutely watching your conversation. He is watching your behavior. That means that your life is the only Bible that he's reading. Consider 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Paul wrote, do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation for you? Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. For the false teachers who were bringing into question the apostleship of the apostle Paul, his point was, you can question my apostleship all you want, but if you really want to know who I am and what I'm about, or if I am legitimate, just look at the fruit of my ministry. Look at the testimony of changed lives. Look at the people who are walking with Christ and have put on Christ. Look at that. That will speak as loud as anything else. It speaks volumes. So here we go. If you're married to an, an unbeliever or you've got a husband who is saved, and, but maybe you've been questioning that. And so we got to understand, ladies, a wife wins her unbelieving husband, listen, with Christ-like behavior. That's how. She wins her husband with Christ-like behavior. And it's not just for the women who are married to an unbelieving husband or they're married to a man who is saved and not looking like it. Uh, ladies, some of you are married to godly men, praise the Lord. Let me just tell you, in principle, if you really want to win your husband, you want to capture his heart, you want to capture his mind, you want him to look at you and think, oh my goodness, I married the most incredible woman that a man could ever have married. How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, Christ-like behavior. Christ-like behavior. Listen, let me tell you, my wife is an amazing woman. She is. I'm so thankful. I, I out, the Lord outdid himself. He did. He outdid himself in, in, in giving her to me. But let me tell you, she is the most unattractive thing I've ever seen when she's carnal. And she is the most striking, beautiful, amazing, phenomenal, incredible woman you'll ever lay your eyes on when I see her and I just see the traits of Christ oozing out of her. That's true for every wife in the room. Would you agree? I was taught years ago 
when I was going to the Shepherd School of Ministry that my home is not to be a pulpit. I was taught that, right? I remember Jeff very clearly saying to us, men, do not preach to your wives at home. Don't do that, all right? Men who turn their home into a pulpit, uh, that's what they do. They, They march around and they bark at their wives and they preach at them incessantly (laughs) where like women are probably hiding sometimes like let me just get away from I don't want to lecture (laughs) right ladies in this church you understand very clearly what the Bible teaches about the office of pastor you understand that that office is not to be held by a woman but when it comes to the home I'm afraid that some of you have self-ordained yourself to that role because you preach at your husband incessantly. You lecture him incessantly. You function like a pastor. Please hear this, ladies. If he is an unbeliever, or if he is a saved man but very carnal, that will not win him. That will not win him ever. You can talk until you're blue in the face. You can talk (laughs) nonstop. And you'll just be wasting your words. You cannot win him if what he sees in you is that you have now removed yourself from being under his authority and now you are addressing him as if he's your congregation. And you're blasting him with everything he needs to do and everything he needs to know and this and that and the other. And I'm telling you, he's got invisible earplugs in. Regardless of where your husband is today, ladies, let me give you a verse that I think is so very critical for you as a wife. It's critical for every believer in Jesus Christ, but specific to what we're looking at this morning Romans 13, 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Ladies, if you don't put on Christ, this is so very dangerous if you're married to an unbelieving husband or a carnal husband because if you don't put on Christ, you will be incapable of seeing your husband the way that Christ sees him. You will begin to despise him in your heart. You'll constantly be tempted with bitterness. Instead of being burdened for his soul or being burdened for him to return to the Lord, your preoccupation will be with you trying to figure out how you can actually exit this marriage. It's not Christ. But if you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, then guess what? This is awesome. You become the Bible that God gets to use every day for him to read. One of my uh, nearest and dearest friends back on Long Island, his name is Rob. That's Uncle Rob to my kids. And uh, Rob is a... uh, Rob is a... Tough, I mean tough. He's almost as tough as Jason. Uh, Rob is, 
Rob is a tough Irish New Yorker. Tough, hard as nails. And uh, he was lost, and his wife, his lovely wife, Tanya, those are two kids, Cameron and Sydney. Uh, but Tanya, she would just come with tears in her eyes, and she would say, please, pray for my husband. Pray for Rob. He's... And the Lord um, allowed me to lead Rob to Christ and disciple him. And on a number of occasions, I remember him saying to me, she should have divorced me. I was awful. I said and did things to her that were just absolutely cruel. She should have left me. You know what Tanya did? She just put on the Lord Jesus Christ every day. And she just prayed for her husband. And she didn't fight and war with her husband. And I'll never forget that Sunday morning when he came forward with tears running down his eyes. And he and I, that's the first time I ever met the guy. And we got to spend two years together. And you talk about, I mean, she's just like, okay, who, who is this guy named Rob now? <laughs> He's still tough, but amazing. Now, when Peter said that the unbelieving husbands can be won by the conversation of the wives, I want to make sure we understand that he was not implying that a man can be born again without the gospel. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. You know it. His point was a wife's conversation can win her husband to the gospel that wins him. See, your behavior can be so attracting and so compelling that it can actually lure him to the gospel that will win him. It's awesome. Now, if 1 Peter 3.1 is your situation as a wife, I, I can't stress enough how you have to walk by faith, not by sight. If you're walking by sight, this is going to be even harder than it is. Uh, consider Mark 11.22 and 23. This is very critical. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thy removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, that is the promise from Christ when we pray from a position of genuine faith. But ladies, this is so very critical. Understand that he did not say when that mountain will be removed and cast into the sea. He gives the promise, but he doesn't give you a timeline. And so if it's true faith in the Lord, then you got to be in it for the long haul. You do. So a wife wins her unbelieving husband with Christ-like behavior next, Peter continued by addressing uh, a wife who, in terms of who a wife needs to be. So he's talked about how she wins her husband, but now he's talking about who you need to be as a wife. And, and in this, now we're, we're really addressing all the wives. 
Because where we go from here is applicable to the woman who is saved to, who is, who is married to a saved man or an unsaved man. These things, we're going to just let the word of God just give us a visual of who you need to be as a wife. Verse 2, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, she needs to be a woman of pure behavior. A woman of pure behavior. That word chaste just means clean. So, if you are the only Bible that your husband is reading, that needs to be a pure version. Would you agree? Even if you're married to a saved man and who is walking with the Lord, uh, he's still reading that, that Bible of your life. He's watching you every day. If an unbelieving husband, though, sees his wife go to church faithfully, serve faithfully, and even tithe faithfully, but then he observes her cut corners financially. Maybe she fudges the taxes a little bit. Or he watches her lie, tell lies. Or maybe she uses coarse language in the home, not helping him, not winning him. That's not winning conversation. That's not winning behavior. It's been amazing over the years from time to time having dealt with this situation enough. And typically if you have a wife, you know, who's coming and her husband isn't, he's not saved or, you know, something like that. And I've had the opportunity a few times along the way to actually sit down with the husband and actually spend time with him and actually get to know him. And as, as time goes on, he begins to uh, just share a perspective of this woman that uh, many of us don't get. <laughs> yeah, he sees her go to church and he hears her come home and become the pastor at home and lecture him about what he needs to do and why he needs to come and this, that, and the other. But but it's her behavior that's a problem. It's her conversation, right? She, uh, he sees her become unglued on the kids because they spilled milk at the table. And she's exploding in anger because the kids spill a little milk on the table. And she's dropping very uh, unkind speech. That's not winning him at all. If that's the only Bible he's reading, not a good one whatsoever. I think we have a, an issue. I think it's being addressed, so hang in there. That actually will encourage him away from the gospel, and it will also encourage him away from her. Ladies, your behavior is either attracting your husband or is pushing him away. This is true in every wife. It absolutely is. Your behavior is, is either magnetizing or he's finding ways to be away from you. Because in his estimation, you're just so unpleasant. You're unpleasant. 
And he's like, man, I, th I think I'll just hang out in the basement and watch replays on NFL Network or something. Like, I just, I, I got to go to the store, and, I, and it's going to be a three-hour trip. <laughs> I just don't want to be home. What's your behavior? Think about what the Bible says in Philippians 1, 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Our conversation, ladies, your behavior, it needs to be in agreement with and in accordance with the gospel of Christ. The gospel is winning. It's a winning gospel, right? Then let your conversation, let your behavior be winning. So let me ask you, if you're a wife this morning, are you winning your husband or are you losing him? Now, let me be very careful. I am in no way implying divorce or anything like that. All I'm saying is, is once again, here we go. Your conversation is doing one of those. He either wants to be around you because you're Christ-like, or if you're carnal and all he hears and sees is that you're always down, you're always depressed, you're always negative, something's always wrong, you're never pleased, you're never happy, you're always miserable, you're always complaining, you're always lecturing him, you're always pointing something out that he's not doing right. Who wants to be around that? <laughs> I'm sorry. I love all of you. And I'm not saying that any of you are. Please hear that, okay? But let me just tell you, and before God, I have nobody in mind. Before God. Nobody in this room anyway. <laughs> but I have been in some situations where I thought to myself, if I had to go home to that, wow. I, I, I would, I'd need some help. I would need some help. I, I would, listen, I'm not advocating happy hour. <laughs> but ladies, there is a reason why some men actually go there. Because everything after that is unhappy. Okay, I promise you, I am not trying to offend any woman in the room. I promise I have no woman in mind. I'm not trying to hurt you. I, I re I'm really trying to help you. Is that okay? But if, if you feel that I was improper or too harsh, I'm so sorry. I mean that from my heart. I really do. Now, when we're talking about pure behavior, we're also talking about pure motives, aren't we? We should anyway. See, if you've made a, a deal in your heart that says, I'll be in subjection to you, and I'll have winning behavior as long as you'll come to church with me sometimes, as long as you'll spend time with me in the Bible, then, yeah, I'll, I'll be submissive and I'll be kind. However, 
Uh, the moment that you don't do that, well, then my submission and my kindness are gone. That's not pure. That's not pure. See, that exposes your impure conversation. Because instead of being submissive and kind, now your conversation once again is not winning him, but it's losing him. He gets it. Because you're, what you're saying is, is this winning behavior that you're putting on, it actually comes with strings. Another observation, and this is, I've just seen this a lot, I've seen instances where a husband actually did believe on the gospel, got saved, and listen, got serious, very serious, only to discover that his wife was all in on seeing him one to Christ, but she wasn't all in on him actually now becoming the spiritual leader in the home. No, I, oh, praise the Lord. I want you to get saved, but, but I'm still the pastor of the home. You got to make sure that your conversation, ladies, is pure all the way through. Next, he says, coupled with fear. Now, to process this, we, we need to compare Scripture with Scripture. Look at Ephesians 5.33. Nevertheless, Paul said, let every one of you, wives in particular, so I'm sorry, love his wife, even as himself, now wives, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now, the word reverence in Ephesians 5.33 and the word fear in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 2, were translated from very similar Greek words. And I've given you those words in your notes. I mentioned that to clarify what is meant by coupled with fear. Here we go. A wife needs to be a woman who respects her husband. She respects her husband. Peter counseled them to couple their chaste conversation with fear. You can imagine uh, some of the men that these women were married to at this time, they would have been, some of them, as dark and pagan as the Romans who were persecuting them were. It's not that you respect his pagan or sinful ways. Listen, it's that you respect his place. You respect the place that God has given him in the home over you. Is he perfect? as far from it as anybody could be. But that doesn't give you license to disrespect him. This is very similar to being under authority in the workplace to a wicked boss. Look at verse 18 of chapter 2. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward, the twisted, the ones who are really a mess with fear. One of the things that hinders the gospel to unbelieving husbands is, listen, the impression that they're getting from their saved wives is that the Bible apparently grants her permission to disrespect him because he's unsaved. 
So now because he's unsaved, or maybe he's saved and carnal, well, now she's got permission to absolutely tee off on him, talk to him like garbage, because he's just this despicable lost thing, not winning. Ladies, with everything in me, I, if I could give each one of you $100 to hear what I'm about to say, I would. Nothing, and I do mean nothing, nothing will ever be as off-putting. Nothing will ever lose your husband like perceived disrespect from you. If you want to lose the heart of your husband, if you want him to find ways to be away from you, if what he is reading and perceiving from you, your tone, how you look at him, how you address him, how you respond to him, if that is seasoned with disrespect, he can't handle it. Listen, even if you are 100% right, he cannot handle that. I've always tried to be transparent. I'll be transparent now. It took me two and a half years to learn how to handle disagreements with my wife. So I grew up in a home where, and, and, and to the credit of my mother, she was a single mom and she had a full plate, she had a tough job. I, I, I really understand that now. But my mother, her approach to discipline was extreme. And my mother physically handled me until I was 16. As a matter of fact, my mother got so angry with me at the age of 16 that she physically, with a closed fist, punched me in my head. That's how discipline was handled in my home. I had no voice. My mother spoke, and that was it. You can try and talk back, but you'll be picking yourself off the floor when that was over. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I got married... And whenever I felt that Lori was trying to handle me or dominate me, no way. You will not talk to me like that. You will not handle me like that. I didn't even realize it. And it, and it took a very dark episode where we had a disagreement where I was very angry. And I dealt with her very harshly. And it wounded her very deeply. Now, I never physically, I've never physically hit my wife. I'd rather die before I did. But it felt like I'd hit her. It was a very long day. I remember just asking the Lord, what was that? Why was I so angry at her? 
Why was I yelling at her like that? I was just praying and waiting, and on my way home, the Lord made it clear to me I was yelling at my mother. I was lashing out at my mother for the beatings and the whippings and the humiliation and the name-calling and all the things that I endured as a child. Being punched and kicked and hit with books and beaten with extension cords naked in the bathtub. So... (laughs) Now that I'm a full-grown man and the bills coming to this house have my name on it, no woman will handle me like that. And Lori wasn't trying to be that. The Lord had to. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't be ordained until the Lord worked me through that season because what I realized, what the Lord revealed to me was, son, you have an anger problem. And you're not qualified for this office if you're soon angry. He had to work me through that before I could be ordained. And I'm thankful that he has. But that was a turning point in our marriage. To all the ladies, you must be careful, so very careful, in how you address, respond to, and deal with your husband. It must communicate to him that you not only recognize his place, but you respect it. Listen, I want to make sure you hear me. I'm not saying that your husband, is, it's okay for him to be a tyrant, a dictator, that you can't disagree, that you can't express. That's not it at all. No, you should be able to do that. It's always How? Your husband should never feel like he's being attacked or that he has to remind you that he's over you, right? Sadly, I'm going to tell you, and I'm wrapping up here. Sadly, there have been times where I have been embarrassed for a brother in Christ. As I have watched his wife right there just undress him in front of me and everybody else in that moment. Just undress him with her mouth, undermine his authority, override him. I'm thinking, man, I'm sorry. I wish I could just excuse myself from I'm sorry. If I can be explicitly clear, to those of you who are discipling, ladies, you're doing blueprints with another woman, you're counseling other women. I want to make sure you hear me very clearly. We will not reproduce that. That is not okay. We will not instruct or counsel women that they have a green light to light up their husbands anytime they feel like it. To address him as if he's five to undermine him before his children, to trash him to other women. No, we will not reproduce that. No, thank you. Can I get an amen? (laughs) 
Now, the Lord is not calling you to endorse his craziness. No. But he has called you to ensure that your husband knows that you have great respect for his place and that you're going to do everything that you can to honor God and do, by, and do right by him as much as you can. That should be the message at all times. Man, if I could just give God glory, if I could just give God praise, I am so thankful, so thankful for a wife who would rather drink a tall order of Clorox before she ever intentionally challenged me. Before she ever raised her voice at me. I'm so thankful that the last time that, and I say this not because I'm record keeping, but I say this to praise God for the wife that I have. The last time she raised her voice at me was in 2009. And I was being difficult. Lord, this is a hard thing to say. I pray that your Holy Spirit is doing the work that only he can do with a message like this. And I pray that it would bring forth fruit to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.